going to read again from the Word of the Lord. I started a little series last Wednesday night on nine secrets of healthy relationships, and uh, I'm going to read the verse of Scripture that I that I began with last Wednesday, and I'll probably read it till you get tired of it. But it's found in Galatians chapter five. It's very powerful. It is what we believe is the continuing evidence of the Holy Ghost because it is the fruit that we bear. And uh, if we, everybody, I was thinking about this after I got through last Wednesday night. Everybody's going to bear fruit, everybody here, everybody in this house, everybody in this world, everybody you meet, everybody's going to produce something in their lives, amen? I want my fruit to be the fruit that's in the Scripture, I want to be sure I've got what God said I needed to have. So we're going to talk about it again. Galatians 5.22, you can go there. Mark that in your Bible. Mark it down. But the fruit of the Spirit, everybody say fruit. Say not fruits. We're going to learn that every week. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So we're here to talk about real life today. We're not here to talk about other folks and what they're going to do. We're going to talk about what we're going to do. I, I, I read a, a story of a man that, that uh, said he got an email from one of the people in his church after he had preached on a Sunday morning. And the, 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 the man said, why did you have to preach about losing your temper and all that Christian living stuff? He said, nothing's gone right for me this week, and I'm looking for someone to blame. He said, I stopped just short of choking the UPS agent on the phone line. He said, I, I, I've got into it with my mechanic, and I, I've had problems all week long. He said, why would you have to preach that? Well, here's why we preach that, because it's real life. Everybody say, it's real life. Hey, we all get mad. We all laugh. We all cry. We all have emotions. Some people get uncomfortable when a pastor preaches on relationships, but that's where Christianity really is. That's, that's, that's what Christianity is all about, is relationships. We, you know, everything that we have or hope to have in God and in church is predicated on relationship. Think about this. What is the first commandment, they asked the Lord? What is the first commandment? He said that you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's relationship. That's the first commandment. And he said the second is likened to the first. Guess what? That you love your neighbor like you love yourself. So here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Whether it's this way or this way, we have to get it right in relationship. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I'm not known as a Christian on the basis of what I believe or even what I have experienced. You, you can't call me a Christian by that. The world's not going to call you a Christian by that. They're going to call you a Christian by what they, what they see. What they see is what they're looking at, what they're looking for. You can tell people you're a Christian all day long, but if you, if you don't act like a Christian, Sorry, honey, but they ain't going to believe you. Amen? So our subject today is the first, the first of the fruit of the Spirit, and it is L-O-V-E, love. 
Here's a, here's a viewpoint about love. I read a story where a pastor was helping a young couple, and I have this from time to time. They'll say, we want to write our wedding vows. We want something a little different. You know, uh, I, I, I forgot whose wedding it was, but a few years ago, I, uh, I always print everything out. I think weddings ought to be formal. I, I read a lot of the, the of what's going on. Sometime I'll add live. But I realized I was standing right here, and uh, there's a couple of preachers standing beside me, and, and I looked down, and in my notes, I had no wedding vows. And I was supposed to do the wedding vows. So guess what I did? I winged it. I've done enough of them until I remembered it. And so, you know, I just, I just went right down the line to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I mean, I just went right through it like a dog trotting. I had it down. But I do have couples that come to me and say, we, wanna, we don't want the traditional vows. We want. So this pastor that I read about, his, this couple came to him, and they wanted more contemporary vows, and they wanted to write them their set. And so the, they wrote them, and they handed them to the pastor for his approval. And he was reading it. It said, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And, 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 and what else goes with that? Does anybody know the, the old original pill? What? Till death do we part. Well, you know what they said? Until we no longer love each other. And the pastor said, he stopped, he said, what do you mean by that? And the couple said, well, you know, couples fall in love, but sometimes they fall out of love. And they should not be required to remain married and unhappy for the rest of their life if, if they fall out of love. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun here tonight. And so the pastor said at first he was surprised, and then he realized that modern society had, had subtly got to them, and, and they were believing like this world believes. It was a lack of commitment. It was, it was not saying until death we part. Because when you say that and take that vow, <laughs> You got to, it can't be until we're not in love anymore. You, you're in for the ride, brother. And it's some mountains and it's some valleys and it's some health and it's some sickness and it's some money and it's being broke and it's fighting at 3 o'clock in the morning and getting up and going to work. I'm just telling you, real life, real life, it takes real love for real life. Here's another viewpoint on love. I'm going to read this because I read it and it made such an impression on me. But in the book, a man, a book, Letters to an Unborn Child was the name of the book. David Ireland wrote to the child in his wife's womb, partly because he knew that he may never see that child. While his wife's pregnancy developed, David was dying of a crippling neurological disease. He wrote in one of his letters, and this is what he said. Your mother is, a very, is, is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, 
sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, drive off to the restaurant, and then it starts all over again because she has to get out of the car, unfold the chair, wheelchair, open the door, spin me around, stand me up, sits, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedal out, closes and locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner. She feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, reverses the same routine, and when it's over, finished with real warmth, she says, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. I never quite know, he said, how to answer because that was an example of real love. So there's a perspective. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us this. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible said this, God is love. How many of you know that? God is love. God is not hate. God is not malice. God is not strife. God is love. He is defined as love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him because God is love. Love is at the top of the list of the fruit of the Spirit because it is the foundation for the rest of the fruit that God wants to grow in us. Now, now hang with me here tonight because I want you to see something. As a matter of fact, I read where many, uh, many scholars translate Galatians 5, 22, 23 like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and then the semicolon. And meaning that joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance all reverts back to what we're talking about tonight. Because you can't have love. You can't have joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance without love. So it's the bottom line. It's the foundation. It's what, where God wants you to start. It's where the Lord said that, that this is what your whole relationship with mankind and with God is predicated upon. When you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with people. Oh, y'all didn't get that. When you fall in love with Jesus, you'll fall in love with your mother-in-law. When you fall in love with Jesus, you will do what Jesus said. You will love your enemies. When you get this right, all this other stuff, I see y'all laughing, talking, elbowing one another, and hey, I understand. It's real life. Say it again. It's real life. But it's what we have to work on because true Christianity has the foundation of love. It, 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter of the Bible. It's read at many weddings. You know that. And uh, if you take a close look at the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13, it is, it is so much in harmony with what Galatians 5, 22 said. It is the fruit of the Spirit in just a slightly different order. It's on your sheet of paper. I hope you got one. Let's look at that. Galatians 5, 22, 23 listed on the left. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, 1 through 7 on the right. 
Now, it doesn't, I'm not going to read the scripture, but here's what it actually says. Here's what love is. It def, 1 Corinthians defines love. The 13th chapter defines love. It is literally called the love chapter of the Bible. Okay? I've read it at many, at many uh, weddings. I've read it at, at different places where it's appropriate. But here's what it said. Love does not seek her own, and it's not selfish or self-centered. Well, guess what? That's the perfect definition of love. That's what I read to you about a man that his wife took care of him, took him out to eat, then said, honey, thank you for taking me to dinner tonight. That's love. So the second thing, it says love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rather it rejoices in truth. What's the second thing that Paul mentioned? Joy. You got to have joy. You can compare these as you go down. Love is not easily provoked. Wow. It is serene and stable. In other words, peace. Do you see the correlation between 1 Corinthians 13? I've never looked at this before this, this study. And, and then it says love suffers long, perseveres as is patience. Well, the next fruit of the Spirit is patience. How many of you need a baptism of patience? Thank you for being honest. I can't hardly wait till I get it. I need patience. I don't have a lot of patience. My wife will tell you I don't have a lot of patience. She, she gets on to me all the time. You're too big a hurry. I ain't got time to wait. But, but, but that's one of the fruit that, 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 is in the, that is in the scriptures, patience. And then it said love is merciful and thoughtful and concerned, and it envies not. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not reading it verbatim as what is in the first seven verses, but this is what it actually says. So it's kindness. Everybody say kindness. My, my, my. In, in the King James Version, it's uh, gentleness. Love is great, and it's gracious, and it's generous. It is kind and good. Goodness. The, what I want you to understand when we look at this tonight, and I want, you to, I want you to mark 1 Corinthians 13 in your Bible, and I want you to mark Galatians 5, 22 and 23 in your Bible, because that correlation is telling me this. If I have the love that the Lord talks about in the Scripture, I'm going to have all these things that are going to be produced out of my life. I'm going to be good to people. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to, be, I'm going to have self-control. The Bible said love is, is disciplined and controlled. First Corinthians said that. It does not behave unbecomingly, unseemly. It, 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 it's just... It, it's got self-control. When you, when you have the love of God, you've got self-control. So if we're going to talk about love, it only makes sense to define it from a biblical perspective. My daddy used to, my daddy was, some of you don't know him. You weren't here. But he used to say this. His, he had more sayings. Do y'all know that? He, he never forgot a one of them. But I've heard him say many times, love's a little thing that looks like a lizard runs around your heart and settles on your gizzard. 
I can't tell you how many times I heard him say that. Love looks like a lizard running around your heart and settles on your gifts. Where'd that come from? That was GE. That's a GEism on a Wednesday night. You learned something tonight. So if we're going to talk about love, let's talk about it from a biblical perspective. And, 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 and that's the only opinion that really counts anyway, okay? I'm going to talk about love. So the world said love is a feeling, but God said it's a matter of commitment. You can fill that in. Those are two blanks on your sheet of paper. The world says love is a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a commitment that you make. You, you can't, uh, I don't, well, I'm going to be very careful. In our culture, let me put it this way. Love is grossly defined, grossly defined. By four-minute songs on the radio, one-hour soap operas on the television, two-hour movies at the cinema, 300-page novels on our bookshelves. And in fact, we use the word love so much that we've almost destroyed the true meaning. One man said that he loves his wife and he loves his dogs and his wife is loving and supporting, and those dogs are disobedient and sneaky. But when it rains, he sends his wife out to bring the dogs in. Oh, you didn't catch that. And Charlie Brown in the comic strip said, love is a warm puppy. But somebody said, puppy love will not last through the dog days of life. So we got to get a biblical, biblical perspective. How do you use the same word love for your wife, the dog, the car, baseball, and pizza? The same word can't apply. You don't love your wife like you love the dog. You, you may love the dog more. I don't know. I'm only playing. Please don't take me serious. But when we, when we hear this man say that he loves his dogs and he don't, we don't think, well, he's a weirdo because he loves his dogs and he, like he loves his wife. Instead, we understand internally that he is speaking of a different kind of love. And there are different kinds of loves. This can be, uh, certainly be difficult for someone who is just learning the English language because we just throw that word out there and, and, and it means different things. There's actually four Greek words. You have them on your sheet of paper. And, and I'm going to talk about each of them for a moment here tonight. There are four Greek words that define love. The first one is eros, E-R-O-S. And this, this, is where, this is where the word erotic comes from. Now, we're not going to get X-rated in here, but this is sexual or sensual love. It is, uh, it is what God put in humanity. And, and it, the Bible does teach that sexual love is a wonderful blessing from God. And as long as it's in experienced in the boundaries of marriage, it is biblical and it is right. 
Somebody came to a preacher that I know and started asking him questions about him and his wife, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. He said, I'm going to give you my answer. When you go in your bedroom, shut the door, God puts his hands over his eyes. You just take care of that by yourself. There you go. That's my answer. Outside of that, it does, outside of marriage, it does incredible harm. Because there are spirits and there, are, there is lust and there are things that are not good. The New Testament does not use the word E-R-O-S. Never do you find that. But it is still a Greek word. And it is where we get the erotic, our erotica. That's where it all comes from. So our world is obsessed with that. I have a few amens. It's all right. So, so that is one kind of love. The next kind of love is called storge. And that is family or natural love. The Bible uses this word twice in the New Testament in the negative sense to describe evil people who are, and he's called it, without natural affection. Without natural affection. Storge is the love that exists in a family between parents and children and, a, and among siblings. That's a storge love. It is vastly different than eros love, and, and to blend the two would lead to perverse sins such as incest. And we believe that incest is wrong. And God teaches that it's wrong. Parents should be dismayed at the normal friction that exists between siblings. That is God's way of ensuring that, that the line is never crossed. Storge is a strong, you, you've heard it said, blood is thicker than water. Well, that's what storge is. Storge is that family love, that sibling love, that love that you have for your mother. You, you know, the love that that I have for my mother is not the same love that I have for my wife. It is in one sense, but it is in all sense. So, so it's, it's a family love. It's, it's quite limited at times. So I'm, I'm trying to help you here. This is another kind of love. Another kind of love is filet, uh, which is filet is friendship or companionship love. Here's what that is. So you, that, that word is derived from philanthropy, from this Greek word, or the word philanthropy is deri derived from that Greek word which, which designates and means friendship, our kind of love. The New Testament translated as brotherly love. Everybody say brotherly love. Often you read of that in the Scriptures, brotherly love. It's the kind of love that develops between us and those we have a natural affinity for, and those that we don't have any personality conflict with. I was thinking about this today, and I was studying this. We all have personality conflicts. Everybody don't jive with you, baby. Everybody don't see eye to eye with you. But yet we have to love one another. We can, agree, we can disagree, but not. There's a difference in disagreeing and being disagreeable. Are you with me? 
you can say, well, I don't believe that. But that don't mean I hate you. That don't mean I don't like you. That just means that we have a disagreement and that we think differently. But this kind of love, filet, is sometimes, you, you know, you, you, you have personal conflict, but it's that natural affinity for people that you get along with. Sometimes it happens under the great uh, times of stress. It happens through circumstances that put us in the same place at the same time. But filet love is also limited over the long haul. It, it, it only goes so far. And then there's that last one. And I want to spend some time here because it's called agape love. Have you ever studied agape love? Here's what agape love is. It's by far the kind of love the Bible refers to most often. Agape love. It has nothing to do with romance or sex. It's nothing to do with natural affection or sentimentality. It's not dependent on physical attractive, attractiveness or personality or even a harmonious atmosphere. Here's what agape love is, and put this down. It is a decision that commits itself to the well-being of another regardless of the reaction of the one being loved. It is a decision. That's on your sheet of paper. It's a decision that commits itself to the well-being of another regardless of the reaction. That's another blank of the one being loved. In other words, I'm going to love you in spite of who you are. I'm going to love you when you don't love me. It's a decision. Everybody say with me, love is a decision. You believe that today? Now, you, you have to have agape love. We have to have that in our lives as a, and this is a blank too, a shield for the other kinds of loves in our lives, or they will never become all they can be. Agape love releases other love. It is the forerunner in our heart and in our mind and in our soul. It's what we get for God, agape love. We're going to serve you in spite of. We're going to love you no matter what. We've made up our mind. It's agape love. It is when Eris love is tempted to be unfaithful, when storge love is tempted to walk out and slam the door, when filet love is tempted to write someone off forever, agape love is the only thing that will help and will last. And that's why when you get the Holy Ghost, you get agape love because that's the love of God. Have you not read that he loved us while we were yet sinners? He loved us when we were unlovable. Does anybody believe that in this room today? I didn't deserve to be saved. I didn't deserve to have his spirit. Agape love. Here's another, here's another uh, uh, blank that you need to fill in. Agape love is not a love we produce. Watch this. But it is the love of God that he produces in us. When you get the Holy Ghost, when you get the Holy Ghost, you get love because God is love. I got a question to ask you, and you've heard me say this in the past. 
But I've watched a lot of people come to the Lord and, and repent of their sins and be filled with His Spirit. Almost invariably, and, and especially in old times, but almost invariably, when they repent and they are filled with the Holy Ghost, I want somebody here to tell me what their next move is when they start, when they open their eyes and people are around them. What do they do? You're right, Brother Hodge. I, I remember a man, I remember a man that got the Holy Ghost years ago, not in this church. But he told a story lately, later. He said, I don't know what it was, but when I got through praying and the Lord had baptized me with the Holy Ghost, when I opened my eyes, there stood his bitter enemies. And he grabbed them and hugged them and said, I love you. You know why? Because when you get God, you get love. There's no if and ands about it. I've never seen anybody get through praying and get the Holy Ghost and come out and say, leave me alone. Stay away from me. I've never seen anybody come out and their, and their enemies be standing there and them say, what are you doing here praying with me? Have you ever seen that? All I've seen is when people get the real deal, when they receive the Holy Ghost, they, they're smiling and they're hugging everybody. Everybody's everybody. I mean everybody. Why? Because you can't produce agape love, but God produces it in you. You can't get it by yourself. You know what? This old boy is carnal, and you are too. And we all have all these other kind of loves we can grasp. You know what? It's, a, uh, you know, it's not hard to do that. We, we, sexual love, sensual love, don't act like you don't have it. You might as just well be real, but there's more to love than sex. You can have sex and not love anybody. I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, what's all this about? Well, it's real life. It's relationship. You, you, your, your, your family, you, you love your family. I love my family. Everybody love their family. That's, that's, that's normal for you to love your family. Hey, when, when you grow up in a, in, in a home where a mother loves you and puts her arm around you and tucks you in every night and your dad's the greatest guy in the world, you, you learn to love. It's just part of it. But that's not agape love. Agape love comes when you come to God and when the Lord starts producing in you love for your enemies, love for the truth, love for the God that you've never seen before. Have you ever thought about this? We're trusting and loving a God tonight that we've never laid eyes on. It's that kind of love. You see, the world says love is uncontrollable, but nah. -uh. God said love is a matter of a choice. It's a decision in your life. You have to decide if you're going to love or not. And let me tell you, there is, no, there is no marriage, there is no family, there is no person that doesn't go through trials when you, when you love people. Nobody here, nobody here just has just, I mean, if, if life was just a beautiful rose garden and all you had to go through, do was just walk through and look at all the beauty and everything was glorious every morning, some of y'all might be like that old boy that came to church 
And he saw this woman on the platform, this girl on the platform, and she was singing like an angel. And he thought, man, I love her. He fell in love at first sight. And he, I mean, he'd come to church, she'd sing. He asked her out on a date, eventually asked her to marry him, wedding in the church, got married, woke up that first morning, looked at her. She didn't look like she did on the platform. And he said, sing, Sally, sing. Well, from that point, it's a decision. Amen? It may not have been up till now, but it is now. It's a decision. You have to make the choice. A lot of people use words like, I'm in love. I feel giddy. My head's spinning. I'm weak in the knees. Sound to me like uh, you're seasick. That's all emotion, and love may strike you that way. We've heard people say, I fell in love. It's like you're, you're walking down the street one day, and you just trip, and bang, you fall in love. Well, let me tell you what happens when you just fall in love. You fall out of love. Love's a choice. Love is a decision. And, and, and sure, you have to see things to to ignite your emotions and ignite your heart. But that's but when you when you come to real love, what you're saying when you say I fell out of love. You know, I've heard people say, well, we got a divorce. We felt we just fell out of love. That that's because you wanted it to happen. It's not anybody's fault when you supposedly fall out of love. Am I doing okay? I got credentials here, baby. I've been preaching a long time, and I've been married 51 years. I got credentials. I've been through the school of hard knocks and every kind of university you can come to when it talks about these subjects. I've been there. But you know what? You think me and my wife, it's just been lovely the whole way? No, 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 no. No. But here's what, there's a couple of words that, we, we never put in our vocabulary. One of them is divorce. We just didn't put that in our vocabulary. Amen? And we believe the Scripture, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So sometimes we just stay up all night. That was a joke. <laughs> but it might be the truth. You see, it's never easy. It's never easy. But when you get agape love and you fall in love with, with the, the right things for the right purpose and the right motives, and the, it's, it's because you choose to. John outlived. Let me, let me hurry here. John outlived the other apostles. Oh. And, and, and he had some incredible perspectives about the church because he lived longer than the others. He was around, John was, for the first 70 years of the history of the church. 
So he saw a lot of things come and go. And after seeing the church's struggles and triumphs, he placed love in a place of utmost importance in his writing in 1 John. Uh, this is, this, and I, when I was studying this, I thought this is incredible. A man stayed around long enough to see what would happen if people had love or if they didn't have love. And here's what he said, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Watch this. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's move on. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And if you skip on down, skip 12 and 13 and go to verse 14, he said this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He's saying to the church, you got to love people. You got to love those around you. And then if you go down to verse 18, I'm just skipping through and catching these scriptures in, in the third chapter. He said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. You know, this, I, I just say what I want to, Okay. I'm just going to say it because it's true. It is a comical thing when people start to leave a church and say, we love you, brother. But we leave. You don't love me, and you don't love this church. But I'm going to tell you, don't lie about it. Just say, I'm mad, and I'm leaving. That's like me telling Arlene, I love you, babe, with all my heart, but I'm going out with somebody else Saturday night. Am I doing all right? Okay. I might as well get down here amongst y'all. Hi, Adeline. But the facts are, don't lie about it. If you don't love somebody, just say, Lord, help me. But you got to start loving people. You got to love the brotherhood. You got to love your sister. You got to love your neighbor. We got to love each other. We don't have time to quarrel. We don't have time to bicker. Jesus going to come find somebody mad at somebody else over the most minute things. And the first thing you know, we're going to be lost over something that we let lay dormant in our heart and we got our feelings hurt or we said so, somebody said something to us. Let me tell you something. You can't say enough to me to run me off from God. I may not like what you say, but I ain't quitting church. Hello? I might not like it, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for the, for the long haul. So what I'm trying to tell you on this, on this wonderful Wednesday night where we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is love, and everything else is predicated on it. And if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, you can't love God whom you have not seen. That's what the Bible said. I didn't say that. Here's what, here's what else John said. If you skip down to the next chapter in verse 4 or chapter 4, verse 7, he said this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 
Love is of God. You want some more? Verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. I just told you that. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. Well, guess what? If his love is perfected in you, so is gentleness and mercy and kindness and faithfulness. So is temperance. All of that because it's all in love. And in, in verse 16 he said, and, and we know we have known and believed the love of God that, that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Verse 19, we love him. Say this with me. We love him because he first loved us. That's why we love God. John said, you loved us when we didn't deserve loving, but thank you for that. So love is about your actions. You can talk to your blue in the face but your actions will describe real love. Amen? You go back to 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment because that chapter tells what love is supposed to act like and supposed to be. And if you take the first seven verses, it shows selflessness and not selfishness. There are some distinct facets there known as the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what real love is. Love is not being selfish. Love is being selfless. Amen? I hurry. I don't want you to get through before I do. Here's, your, here's the, the last few blanks on your paper. There's a couple of characteristics of love, and I'll close with this. Love is patient. I've already covered that. That's one of your blanks. Love is alive when it has time. Think of that. Love is dying when it is hurried, and love is dead when it cannot wait. Just think about that. Patience means I take the time to wait for somebody else to change, to recover, to get motivated. Patience means I make allowance for somebody else or someone's faults. That's the tough part of love is loving past the things that you see, and you wait, and you love, and you keep loving, and you keep pulling, and you stay there. That's patience. Here's another thing. Love is kind. Everybody say love is kind. Love is alive when it cares, and love is dying when it forgets, and love is dead when it ignores. When I read all that, I thought, man, that's powerful stuff. Kindness means the ability to care for each other in, in the practical details of everyday life. It knows how to turn the grand vows that you make in a wedding ceremony into doing the little tasks that you do every day for each other. Kindness means adapting and inconveniencing yourself. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. That's scriptural. That's one of the fruit. 
We're going to talk about all that. But it all comes because you love. You see, the basic truth of life is that most people have yet to discover that human beings do not change their action by first changing their, and this is on your one of your blanks, changing their feeling. Rather, the opposite is true. Our feelings will change when we first change our action. Look, have you ever tried to love somebody that you really don't love? We just said love is a choice. How many of you in this room can think, without even thinking hard, you can think right now somebody just, they just rub you the wrong way. It might be a family member. It might be somebody you're acquaintance. It might be somebody. How many of you know of somebody right now, they just, they just rub you the wrong way? You just hate to see them coming. Now, am I the only one? I think I'm talking to all of us. Oh, here they come. Huh? Have you ever skirted around the, the other aisle when you see them coming down one aisle because you just didn't want to? I told you I was going to talk about real life. It's real life. Now y'all going to be watching me to see who I'm dodging. Don't watch too, too close. You might get your eyes open. But here, here's the facts. Your actions don't change by, by changing your feelings. Your feelings change by changing your actions. Love them. Put your arm around them. Take time to talk about them, to them and, and, and be what they need in a friend. And just show up when you don't have to show up. I've won people over. Can I tell you a story in closing? I got eight minutes. Okay, here it is. I, I read a story about a newspaper columnist and a minister. His name was George Crane. He tells of a wife who came into his office one day, and she was mad. And she, she said, I hate my husband. She said, I don't, I don't only want to get rid of him. I want to get even with him. And she said, before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. Now, y'all don't think that happens, but that, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty common. So the story said Dr. Crane, he was, a, he was just an uh, ingenuous man, and, and he thought a minute. He said, I tell you, I got a plan. He said... Now, he was trying, you know, his job was to keep people together. So he said, you go home, and I want you to start acting like you really love him and tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind as you can. Be considerate. Be generous as possible. I mean, spare no efforts to please him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, he said, I want you to drop the bomb. And tell him you're getting a divorce. That'll get him. That'll hurt him. And with revenge in her eyes, he said she smiled and walked out and said, beautiful, beautiful, will he ever be surprised. And so she did. She did it with enthusiasm. She acted as if for two months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And when she didn't return the call, Crane called her and said, hey, what about the divorce? She said, oh, I fell in love with him. I love him more than I've ever loved him. 
Your feelings don't change because of your actions. Your feelings, because your feelings don't change first. Your actions change your feelings. When when you determine that it's what you're going to do. My dad always had a saying. Many of you probably he married you and told you this. He told everybody that I ever was with him when he married him, and I helped him. Or if I married somebody and he was around, he told them anyway. And here's what he said. To every groom that gets ready back here and gets ready to come in the door, this is what he would say. He said, I'm going to give you some good advice, son. If you'll treat her like a quarter horse, she won't act like a nag. Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah, see? You treat her like a quarter horse, she won't act like a nag. It's because of your actions. When the Bible, listen to me, when the Bible said, wives, submit yourself to your husband, they're the head of the house. I like for my wife to be like Abraham's wife. She obeyed. You know what, though? There's another side of that story. There's another side of that. We, we, you can't just preach that. Here's what you got to preach. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. When you're ready to be crucified, let me tell you one thing. When you love that person the way you ought to love them, you won't have any problem. That's just good stuff. So here we are talking about nine secrets to healthy relationships and the first one of them, without a doubt, is love. And everything we're going to talk about hinges on this right here. Hinges on it. But it is not just for our marriage. It's for everybody. It's for, it's for our family, our church family. It's for the friends that we have in the world. They have to see the love of God in us. What would you do and what would you say if you knew that God didn't love you? What if God treated us the way that we treat people sometimes? What if, what if we left this building and we could, we could, couldn't depend on God just loving us and keeping us in his care? You know why I'm here today? Because he loved me. You know why you're here today? Because he loved you. John said we love him because he first loved us. He went to Calvary when I wasn't in this world. He bought my sins before I ever came on the scene. He paid the price that I should have paid only because he loved me. For God, you want to know? I'm telling you the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world. He still loves the world. And for in order for us to be God in his, in his kingdom, or for us to be in his kingdom and to be the the representatives of God into this world. You can't do it with hate. You can't do it with malice. You can't do it with covetousness. You can't do it with jealousy. You can't do it with pride. You will only accomplish what God wants you to accomplish with the love of God. And that's the first fruit or first part of the whole fruit. It has to be the foundation of all that we are and all that we believe. Stand with me tonight. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me 
speak a little bit from the word of the Lord. It's just so important, so important. God, guys, come get the offering tonight. Amen. Come receive the offering, and uh, you that want a blessing, give. If you don't want a blessing, it's okay. God will bless the rest of us. Hallelujah. Amen. Just go right ahead, brother. Right ahead. Thank you. I believe tonight that when we talk about what we're talking about, it is vital, so vital. I hope you don't get bored because when you when you study these words, I want you to go home and study Galatians 5, 22, 23, and take those words down and dissect them and, 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 and look into what they really mean and find out what God is expected of. This is where it's at. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to produce this kind of fruit. Amen? If you, if you go around in this world, people say, oh, yeah, he's an old, that old codger hates everybody. That is not a good testimony. But if they say, you know what, I like him because he loves everybody, that's a good testimony. You can't get along with them. They're, they're mean. Oh, wait a minute. Nobody in the church should be mean. Nobody in the church should hate his brother. Amen? I'm going to tell you right now before you leave this building, i got one minute left. I'm going to tell you right now, if you hate your brother, you ain't going to heaven. You are wasting your time right here. You might as well go get you a six-pack and belly up tonight and shoot up before the morning and with, with everything you can shoot up with and, and enjoy the pleasures of this world because you ain't going to heaven if you can't love your brother. Just good preaching on a Wednesday night. We have to be reminded every once in a while. And yes, I'm going to love you too. You've got to love me, and I hate that for you, but you do. You've got to love me. And I know sometimes that's hard to do. Ask Earlene. But you still got to love me. Amen. I love you all. Thank you. Father, take care of us. Help us to live by the Word of God. Help us to get this deep in our spirit. Lord, it's got to be more than just a little Bible study. I want to dig deep to where we understand what you're demanding and commanding us to do. I'm asking you to let it settle on the heart of the people and let us walk out of here better people every Wednesday night from learning what you want us to be and what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.